Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to the Nerd Party. Hello, everybody at home, and welcome to House Lights, House of Hughes. Tonight, we are talking about The Breakfast Club. Uh, last week, we talked about... What did we talk about last week? We uh, 16, 16 Candles. 16, 16 candles. candles, that's right. It was, it was like yeah. some, 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 somebody's birthday was ruined Started by Started with dessert, now we're going to breakfast. Yeah, yeah now we're going to yeah. breakfast. We started with dessert. Uh, I, hey, clever. I like right. that. Hey, okay, hey. okay. Why am I hosting this? <laughs> so, 1985. This is John Hughes sophomore outing and this is i mean everybody knows this film whether you've seen it or not this movie has penetrated the zeitgeist so so completely that it is it is referenced constantly uh the 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 soundtrack even if we hear the soundtrack we know exactly what movie that is from um there's been so many homages to it with a guy throwing his fist in the air and then turning into a silhouette i mean everybody knows what that is and this is probably the first time that I've seen this in a very long time, even though I have seen this multiple times. I feel like TBS was built to, <laughs> to show this movie. <laughs> this was the license they had before Shawshank Redemption became available. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and this is, this is one of those movies that you actually, um, that I think the term you get, like speaking of Shawshank, you get Shawshanked. Like, have you guys heard that term? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yes. no, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Like, I where, if it's on, give me a, give me a, what is it? Like, I mean, there's well, the a twist. With, is that the point? No, no, no. The thing with the thing with being Shawshanked is that when it's on TV, no matter what oh. point in the movie that it's on, you, you catch yourself watching it. Watch it. Yeah. You have to stop what you're doing, whether you're folding laundry or whatever. You know, paying your alimony checks. You got to stop, and you you have to you have to stop and watch it. And I think Breakfast Club is one of those. And mm-hmm. I, I'm not quite sure why, but we're going to investigate that tonight. And one thing that you guys need to investigate is the nerdparty.com. You need to go to the nerdparty.com and, and you know what? You can talk to us. You can tell us which director you would like us to, to do next by going to the nerdparty.com slash contact, select house lights, fill out the form, send us an email. We get a lot of emails. We get a lot of suggestions. I, I'm not able to reply to everybody, but I want you to know that we review every single email we get. We review every single director, so uh, you have been heard and you have been logged, and so I appreciate the people who have sent us multiple emails. And uh, you can also check out all of our other stuff. We got Star Wars shows, Star Trek shows. Uh, we got uh, a, a book club show. We've got young adults. So we got we got a twenty four. You know, indie movie, Harry Potter. We got something for everybody at thenerdparty.com. And John, where can we find you online? Castle Junkie. Just look for that username. That's where I am. Darren. DrSciFi.com. All my links are there. And you can find me at the Insane Robin all over the place. So, gentlemen, Darren, I'm going to start with you. When was the first time that you saw The Breakfast Club? Uh, and don't you ex- forget about me. <laughs> Except for... I think I'd seen on like a YouTube clip, you know, best scenes of whatever, like the part where he's reading uh, the voiceover of the, the whatever thing they were supposed to write at the end where, you know, you're always going to see us as this and, you know, we're not conforming to your definitions. I mean, I'd seen, you know, the montage of that clip. Besides that, this was my first time watching this movie. What? Wow, so I just, crazy. I didn't know that. Yeah, no, I just never. I mean, again, I knew The Breakfast Club. I'm sure I saw it a ton of times sitting on the shelf there at Blockbuster or wherever, but just never. Uh, I think maybe the the few times I had tried to get into like 16 Candles, like kind of turned me off to Hughes as like, okay, this isn't really my jam, you know. But I knew, obviously, again, like like you said, this was a very a touchstone movie and and was really excited to watch it for the first time. And yeah, it was it was amazing. It was an amazing movie. The 
you know, the, the tension, the, I mean, you want to talk about like a big budget student film in, in the best way, meaning it's one location. It's, I mean, I think they made it for a million dollars and it made like 55 million bucks. Like that is a great return on your movie. Those are happy investors right there. Very, <laughs> very sure. happy. For sure. We got two returning characters from 16 Candles. So I was glad I had watched them before. Obviously different uh, characters, same actors with uh, Molly Ringwald and uh, Michael Hall. Yeah. Anthony, Anthony Michael, Michael, Anthony Michael yeah. Hall yeah. also returning. And man... Because it's like, I was thinking you were meaning uh, Shawshank was like a twist. And not that there's twists in this movie, but it's like one kind of flavor. And then it goes deep. Like when the kids get real and they're sharing with each other, you're like, man, like, I don't know. It made me think of like all these movies that are what I like to call minimum viable product. You know what I mean? Like when Mm -hmm. a current movie where they're like, oh, this will make us slightly more money than we spent on it. Let us put it out into the world. This is not one of those. This is a, a crafted film. If anything, I see this launching Hugh's career more than, than, than 16 candles. You're, you're absolutely right there. Uh, he actually was intended. I, he intended, I think this to be his first movie. And then for whatever reason, 16 candles came first. And I think that you can immediately tell that his heart is way more involved in this. Oh, yeah. 16 Candles is like at best a rough draft. You know, we talked about it already, but like very much, especially when you compare the two movies, it's like, oh, this is somebody who knows what they're doing, you know, putting stuff together. This is not just a sequence of events. This is a beginning, middle and end with a progression for each character, you know, and and an arc to to the story overall. And, you know, the, the thing that, I think really also um, denotes that he's more focused, cares more about what's going on here is to speak to one of your criticisms of 16 candles. Tristan is the music references are obviously much more contemporary. They make (laughs) much more sense here. It's like, Oh, this is music I would have been listening to in the 1980s. And it speaks to the story that's going on. It's not just a cheap musical sting to get the, the, the parents involved, but something that always baffles me about this movie is that it's rated R. And if it's in, if it's intended audience truly is the teen audience, conventional wisdom is you go for, I don't PG 13 existed by then. In yeah, 80, right? 85. So this was post temple so of P- doom. So yeah. PG 13 existed by this point, but they still released it as an R, which I always take as a cue that this is actually intended for, people who have made it past high school to look back and reflect on what Mm. dummies they were (laughs) and what they worked through to get to a more mature place. And it makes those teenagers want to sneak in to watch it. Like you're going to find a way. Oh yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like R is ever a barrier to somebody actually (laughs) seeing them. Oh no, this is an R rated movie. It's like, I was thinking R rated movies when I was 12. That's my guess. Cause yeah, it it has to be language. Maybe, Uh, maybe smoke. Yeah. Pie use too. Oh, 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 yeah. That's it. Smoking pot, going to be an R, period, end of sentence. They could have dropped all of the other offensive language in it, and it still would have been an R, period. Interesting. Like, even if they did it off camera? Yes. Like, if they did it like that 70s show style? uh, Definitely in 85, I think. Yeah, I I, think you're right. I definitely agree with Darren that in 85, pot use was still frowned on enough. Although, Although, speaking against that point, is poltergeist. Because in Poltergeist, and that I never saw Poltergeist until a few years ago. Oh, yeah. I don't like the movie. And one of the reasons I don't like it is because the parents, they're at home and their kids are up and their kids are there and they have to be on deck for their kids and they're getting they're getting stoned in the bedroom. But and that's like, the parents, though. Yes. But as a parent, I'm like, okay, have a beer or two, but you're watching your kids. If one of you gets drunk or high, okay, I'll give you some leeway because somebody's on deck to be there and be smart. What if you got to drive one of those kids to the hospital, right? Yeah. And you've had yeah. all these paranoid. Anyway, that, that's me going off. <laughs> I was going to say, we're, we're going know. down a path here. Sorry. We're going down a path. Yeah. Now, John, I want to I know, um, when was the first time you've seen this? Like, did you did you see this in the theater? Like, did no, you, did no, you no, see no. it with your brother? You know? <laughs> it, it was, it, no, it, it was R-rated. Did you see this rated R movie when you were a wee tyke, John? Listen, I was taken to Platoon when I was like, 
1986, and I was way too young to see Platoon. That's so, why I asked. The, that's oh, why I asked the question because I don't assume anything. Oh, it's a fair question. Absolutely fair question. Uh, actually, I think the first R-rated movie I saw in the movie theater that I was entirely too young to see was either Love at First Bite or Easy Money, whichever one of those came out first. Love yeah. at First Bite was rated R. I'm pretty sure it was. I'm pretty sure it was. I why? Because uh, there's that. a anyway. Dracula's in it. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but uh, this, I, I'm not aware of a time in my life where this wasn't part of the consciousness. I believe that the first time I saw it or encountered a scene from it was on videotape at a relative's house where they had brought it home from the video store and they were watching it. And I know the scene in specific, the room I was standing in, seeing it for the first time on a television screen. And I don't know if I just saw that scene or if I saw the whole thing, but I was definitely, I was not in high school by that point. So I was a little bit younger than the intended audience. So I, I'm kind of like you where it's, I, I can't remember a time where I didn't know about this movie, where I didn't have the knowledge of this movie. And, you know, like I joked about it being on TBS, but that's kind of the, I just feel like as, as soon as we got cable, I saw this film. Did your letterbox don't on. go back far enough to, <laughs> to look <laughs> yeah. up when you yeah. first saw this? <laughs> if only. If only. I mean, that was a fun night trying to go through every single movie ever made and figuring out if I've watched it or not on Letterboxd. But I, <laughs> yeah, it was it, like, I I, I, th- I saw it probably 20 times all out of order, I think. And this is, this in preparation for this podcast is probably the first time that I've ever seen it unedited and uncensored. Wow. That blows my mind. Wow. Because oh, I, I've I'm trying to even picture what TV. an edited version would have been like. You would have lost it's so much. It's ridiculous. Like, it's really hilarious. Are they like dubbing different words into the same yes. phrases? So yes. it's like, yes, for you, you know, or something. Well, no, like, like, like there's yeah, actually. I think this, it's forget you, isn't it? Yeah, oh. it's forget you. Like, there's this really funny reference. But it's really obvious it. now what he's not knowing. It's very yes. obvious. But like in the show Community, uh, there's a character Abed who's obsessed with movies, and for some reason he was making a Breakfast Club reference, and he did the entire, not the entire, but he did a big chunk of the of Jed Nelson's monologue about how he hated his father, and he's like, "Forget you, Dad," uh, but he does he does the censored version, but his his mouth does the uncensored <laughs> version. Oh, that's funny. Okay, that's, that's clever. Brilliant. And that I was just, brilliant. I was so floored because it looked exactly like the edited version that you see on TV. It was, I have to send you guys the clip because it's absolutely genius. But, but yeah, this was the first time that I seen it un- uncensored, unedited. And it was, um, it was interesting because there was, there was a lot of things going into it. I, I really truly felt like these were high schoolers going into they're it. Like, even though people. they were a little older. You know, like they're, you know, obviously they're actors. They're a little older. They weren't actually 18 or they weren't actually 17 or whatever they were. Uh, there's so many high school films and high school TV shows, especially right now that you see like on streaming services and HBO and everything like that, where you see someone who's like 35, they're in orgies. They're like doing, you know, like hard drugs and everything like that. You're just like, good lord! Can't imagine what show you're referencing, Tristan. I don't know who. who I, don't know. I don't know what on earth I'm talking about. Seems um, weird, but yeah, you like you <laughs> see that, and you're like, oh, good lord! And when you see something like, um, like Breakfast Club, it's 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 a much more like a universal experience. And when I say universal, I mean like you know, for the demographic, for like the, the white suburban teen, like it's, it's a very, you know, universal experience for that because, you know, like I could, I could go into splinter into different demographics and everyone has a different high school experience, but for this demo, it's pretty universal. Like, yeah, there was some drug use, like whether you did drugs or you didn't, you know, somebody who did, you were friends with somebody who did, it was usually just pot, you know, it wasn't anything harder. Like people got in trouble for stupid things. Um, but it was these characters were well-defined and Judd Nelson was his character, John Bender, which every single time. Yes. Yeah. Bender. Uh, yeah. I mean, exactly. John, you he, know what I'm going to say. Bite my shiny metal ass. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it was um, like, he was so obnoxious. He was so utterly obnoxious. Like I hated seeing him on screen but the thing is that you were supposed to feel that way because we all knew that kid. 
we all had like we either we, we were either friends with that kid reluctantly or we knew that kid or that kid was the bane of our existence in 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 you know second period and it's just like so many of these these kids were all so defined and we all knew these people and i think that's what really helped move the story along uh bender is a very difficult character for me to encounter uh, sort of like later on, because I, I'm not going to go into like a whole bunch of like personal details, but I, I, I can put it this way that I knew him and it, not me. I'm not saying this isn't like my Al-Anon moment Nelson? where I'm like, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. I wish, I wish I, I, wish <laughs> I would have gotten a signed Rodimus prime toy if I did. But, um, you know, Bender was definitely a guy that I knew and a very specific guy that I knew. And I remember even back that like seeing encountering breakfast club was a moment where that, that it, it helped sink in the moment where it was like, Oh, he's like that for a reason, isn't he? Instead of he's just a monster sort of thing. And this movie is so it's hard to overstate what a cultural touchstone this movie is because in high school, because you know, I was part of the generation coming into high school and in the wake of the Breakfast Club, they used this movie as a teaching tool to they didn't show it in class, but like everybody had seen it. And so they would use it to reinforce the point. Don't judge people too harshly. They're, everybody's coming from something, everybody's going through something. Get to know people before you you judge them. And so, you know, it was actually used as a really interesting. You know, but I mean, we didn't need it to be done that way. I'm just sort of using it as w- when they use a movie to teach a lesson, you know, reference to a movie to teach a lesson. It's like, oh, that's a thing. Um, and, and it's just it's 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 interesting because this is one of those. That's really weird for me, because the last time I watched it was I'm going to say about. I'm going to say it was about 11 or 12 years ago, and I hated it. I absolutely hated the movie. It was the only time I've ever hated it. I was really curious about rewatching it this time, but I was definitely in a different place back then about some things. And I, but I just remember actively hating the movie while I watched it. And I've always been curious to come back. That's why I'm glad we had the the chance to see it this time to see if my reaction would remain altered or if it would sort of snap back to the way I remembered my my memory of it. Now, what were some of the things like when you think the Breakfast Club, Darren? Like as someone who this is the first time seeing it, when you you know you've knew, you've known a lot about it, you you know you know you know the references, you you've seen the clips and everything like that. When you think Breakfast Club. What's the first thing that pops into your head? I guess kind of, again, that ending scene where, and what that implies the whole, I think of the, um, the secondary names first, you know, the basket case, the criminal, the, the brain, the princess, the athlete. Are you going to have the last piece of the pizza? No, you can have it, buddy. <laughs> There's also the child, uh, when the child runs in. <laughs> in the breakfast club part two. I love how innocent that was, or just like just coming in, not thinking <laughs> about anything. <laughs> Don't even I care. Got, I got pizza worries, Dad. I'm sure he's already <laughs> eaten two, and he wants a third. <laughs> uh, but no, I always think of the secondary names: the athlete, princess, the criminal, the brain, the basket case. I mean, obviously, you know the names of the characters, but those archetypes are what really stick. But it's amazing because, in a way, they aren't archetypes they they start as that as we haven't really known the characters and yeah it's like the criminal you're like you're a jerk like i you know i've yeah i've run into people like you and i i'm i'm gonna sit over here and you're gonna apparently move me from my seat for some power trip but uh yeah the the way though it unfolds after you actually get to know them and and it doesn't excuse their actions, but it does add context to it that without you, you would look at it a different way. I mean, honestly, one of the most interesting parts of it for me was watching it for the principal, the vice principal, uh, Vernon, who's 
my gosh, he's a terrible person. Like is just railing on these kids. And I'm like, you are like, you're in education. Like you are done. You are, you, you have burned out. You need to, to go because, uh, yeah, that was the most interesting part. Not only seeing the dynamics between the characters, but against authority against him, especially with Bender. I mean, because that's obviously a main part of his story. Uh, yeah. What, what's what, what's really interesting too is is looking at uh, Vernon. You know, after you've grown up and you've you, you know you, you've got a different perspective on life and everything, is he's still a bad dude? He's still burned out. To your point, he still shouldn't be in this position. But I wind up paying more attention to moments like after he has the meltdown with Bender, you know, is like two and two, I got you for two months. Right. And he walks out and the door closes and it gives him that beat of, he has this look of regret and you see that he's in that position of the regretful parent. That's like, why do I always get into a fight with him? You know, he, it's like, he knows. And he has that conversation with the janitor later where the janitor calls him out. It's like, the kids aren't the problem here. You you need to figure out a different way to relate to them. They're not you. And so it speaks to that film's whole point. But I that one little moment, and I think that uh, that Paul Gleason plays it so well of getting that look of maybe I should go back in and try something else. Nah, I'm just gonna go to my it's it, it's yeah. over with. See though, I mean I, I I saw that scene and for that moment, yeah, I I understood, but when he has him in the closet and he's literally like, oh, take yeah. a, oh, he's like, yes. take a swing at me. Yeah. But yes, beyond the take a swing at me, the fact that he's like, who are they going to believe me? Yeah. Like, basically I could punch you in the face and claim you swung first. Like I, I literally own you right now. And you're just like, yeah, this is messed up. This is really messed up. But that scene is so important too, because I think that's the, the most humanizing moment of Bender. Oh, it because it the way is. Judge Nelson plays it is you see in his face that it's all bluster for him. That yeah. he really is afraid. And it's like the why scared kid inside. Yeah, yeah. Why won't why won't the adults treat me nicely? Like I, I think that scene is so I mean, it, it, it's basically a tearjerker scene because it's like you want to go in and you want to give Bender a hug. He's been a terrible person he, he looks like through a most of this puppy. movie. Like yeah. just crying in, or not crying, and, but just and you in, realize, in the corner. Yeah. All of all of his behavior is an echo of how terrible people have been to him. And it's hard not to just your heart breaks for him in that scene. It's so awful. Awful. But you know, to, to <laughs> keep I don't know the what line this says going about me though with Gleason, like with, with Paul Gleason's character, Vernon, I never really, really saw him as that terrible of a character. Um, ex- except like, for that, that makes scene. sense. I agree with that, <laughs> that, that choice. I don't like, know. Looking through the, 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 the confidential files. <laughs> well, that's a little except bad. for the scene where he, he corners Bender in the closet. Like, you know, like if you take that out, I yeah. feel like you have some leeway. It is a little like more you, relatable without that scene. Yeah, like without that scene, it feels like, yeah, this guy's at the end of his rope. Like he's a veteran. He's tired. He's exhausted. He, he just, he can't stand kids these days. And so like you understand it. I'm not saying it, let's excuse it. That's not what I mean. But like you understand it. But with that scene in the closet, you're like, dude, no, inappropriate, yeah. step yeah. too far. Like, other, like uh, it was interesting because my wife's an educator and, you know, there's like, we were talking about how, you know, like you have these problem kids. Like, I'm not saying we were we related to the closet scene. I'm just saying that there are these problem kids where, like Bender, or even like you know, like Ali Sheedy's character, um, Allison, where you're just like you just want to get through to them, but they just don't care. There's so much apathy, whether it's from home or from being kicked around at school. There's just too much apathy to get through, and so. You can either let them disrupt the entire class or, you know, you can you can spend more attention to the, you know, it's, it's a hard nut to crack. And I feel like Judd Nelson's character did a great job of showing that this is a guy that has a horrible home life and has been kicked around too much at school where the teachers and the administrators yeah. are just like, let's just get them through. Let's just get them through and out of this out of this system. You know, it, it's. um it's interesting with with, Al, with with Allison because you mentioned her. I got to ask you guys: Do you believe 
her because people seem to, to take it at face value. Do you believe her that she just showed up because she had nothing else to do? Because Vernon does not seem like the type of guy that's going to let an interloper invade his his precious little punishment session and be like, sure, come on in. It really seems like Vernon would be the type of guy that's like, I did not give you detention. Get the hell out of my, out of my library true. right now. You no, I, I believe she got detention for a reason. We I don't think we just... Because she said two things, right? Because she lied a bunch. That's the hard makes it hard right, to yeah. pin down. But, right. Um. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't it's know just, what to make of that. Honestly, but I think like, you're yeah, right. Think though I you have, have a good a, point yeah. about Vernon wouldn't be like, oh, sure, more the merrier. I really want to. Like, but didn't he at one point say like, what's her name? Like over there, like he didn't know who she was. I feel uh, like there was a true. few times when he didn't know who she was. Didn't that's know her an, name. That's in, that's an interesting point too, because may, maybe that does prove that she just showed up. And Vernon, you know, he's a vice principal, and so he's like, yeah, sure, you're supposed to be here, whatever. Well, and yeah, I, like, I gotta so burn my Saturday them. too. Yeah, you know, and he's not gonna want to look weak in his eyes and be like, I don't, I don't think you're actually supposed to be here. Let me go look it up. What, what, Vernon would not right. do he that. Do, He'd he, be like, he doesn't want to appear like he. Yeah, he doesn't know what's going on. Yeah. Would be the worst possible outcome for yeah. Vernon. And there, there was two things like with with my wife and I, we were just like, wait, all day detention and a Saturday where a vice principal has to manage this. What, what is this? What is <laughs> this know. whole scenario? <laughs> I know. And apparently he's willing to do it every Saturday for like two months. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. what? Does he have no life? <laughs> but but see, the thing is, you, you can maybe create your own headcanon where it's like Vernon has a terrible home life. And so he's <laughs> he's actually punishing Bender. So he has an excuse not to be at home on the weekends or something. I, like had, a, um, I had a teacher who I was very close with, uh, um, a math teacher, and I would stay after school and we, we would talk a lot. And he talked about how his mentor would, um, whenever there was a fight at the school, whenever there was a fight broke out, he would push, he would, he would stick out his chin into the fight, hoping to get hit so that the kid would get expelled. Wow. Wow. That was his like method. There was <laughs> solving there was, the fight. I, I, that story's crazy. Uh, there is a, there was a legend. There was uh, one guy, I, I won't say his name because I don't know whether it was, it was a true story or not, but the legend that went around about this guy is he was a world war two vet. And, while I was at high school, some kids from another school came over and they came on a school property and they were going to start trouble. And he and like two other, you know, the gym teacher and some other guy, like, you know, they, they go there and they're like, kids, you're not, you're not walking on property. And apparently one of the kids mouthed off to this teacher who was a World War II vet. And according to legend, he looked at the kid and said, son, I've buried kids younger than you. Don't do anything. <laughs> wow. That's the legend around it. That's wow. the legend around it. So and I want to believe it's true. <laughs> we all have these kind of stories. Like we all right. have these high school memories of people like this or circumstances like this. And I think that's what like that's that's what hits so close to home with the Breakfast yeah. Club. That's why we are exchanging. Even though stories it's not like 1985 this. anymore, even though yeah. things have changed the club. I mean, all their outfits are amazing. Like they all have so much style. <laughs> But <laughs> like I was, you know, like I went to high school in the early 2000s and I feel like a kid today could watch this who's going, who's currently in high school in 2022, watch this and relate to it on what's going on. And I think the, the story like when, okay, so when we're, when they, when they just got done smoking and they're all sitting down and the the visual language of the film changes. Like oh, yeah. once they yeah. start to actually get honest with each other, that's something that I really noted that I really liked is that the the camera started doing more motion because it was In very static beforehand. Yeah. Like it was very old school filmmaking where it was just a it was a one shot, two shot, one shot, two shot, wide establishing shot, one shot, two shot. Like it was very, very basic classic filmmaking. And I'm not knocking it. It's just it, it was utilitarian. It did the job. Once we got to them truly being honest with each other, opening up about who they are, they started, like Darren, as you mentioned, they started rotating around, especially with Emilio Estevez's monologue. It started yeah. rotating around. And that's when you realize, yeah. oh, you know, like crap just got real. Like we're actually having a moment right here. And that that's that's primo filmmaking right there is that the visual language is expressing 
what the characters and what the actors are expressing. And the, his story, I think hit me the most is that, you know, like we all have bullied stories. We're all nerds, you know, and everything like that. Like we've all been bullied or been in, you know, altercations like that. And I think that story hit the hardest because of the regret that Emilio Estevez's character had. Like it really hit home. You're just like, like you, you think like, good Lord, like about his victim, like that, that's going to stay with him forever. That's going to damage him forever. And then you look at Estevez, you're like, that's going to damage him forever too. When he was talking about his father and he's like, I did it because my dad, you know, pulled stuff like this when he was a kid. And the fact that I hadn't gotten my hands dirty and I'm like, dear Lord, what a, what a thing to try to overdo. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't really have anything to add to that other than like, good. It just, it just hurt so bad. For me, I mean, when they're getting real, but when, uh, the brain, Michael, uh, Anthony, Michael Hall, which I think, I mean, amazing job in, in acting in this, in this film. But when he asks them, so like, what's Monday going to be like if we pass each other in the hall? It's like, Oh my gosh. And then it gets like even realer. Like you thought it couldn't get realer. And then it does because that's a valid question. And they're like, do you want to be honest? And like, we're, we're not, we're not friends. Like we're friends in this moment, but I'm still in this social circle and you're still in this social circle. And, and then when he's like, I like that means I'm better people. you know, we're better people than you because we would not treat you like that on Monday. And it's like, geez, that was such a powerful moment. And I, I I loved how Molly Ringwald's character was so honest. Like it wasn't the, it wasn't the nice thing to say, but it was was the the honest thing. thing. It was the absolute honest thing. And like, like you said, Anthony Michael Hall hit back with saying like, yeah, I mean, we would never do that to you. And that's why we're better than you. And I did like that. There was that, that was um there was that delineation there was there was that dividing rod of of um like you had molly ringwald and emilio estevez they were in one camp you yeah. had uh, the popular athlete corner yeah mm-hmm. and ali sheedy and in one aspect but then you had bender who was just <laughs> the bender's jackass. on his own force on of his nature own. Yeah. yeah and it was i i like like at the beginning you could see that even though you didn't really feel like Andrew and Claire were friends, you didn't really feel like they were buddy, buddy, or like they hung out all the time, but you could tell that Andrew was protective of Claire just because she's in his, his social class. You know, that's absolutely it. it, It's really um, what makes the breakfast club even more interesting to come back to for me is where I went to high school. uh, It was a, it, it was a private school. It was a, a Catholic school. And we had this thing in junior year, uh, which was a religious retreat. We went off to a place where, you know, it was specifically used for religious retreats, like middle of nowhere. And like the whole thing was like, you broke out into big groups and small groups. And it was all imagine the breakfast club, but in a structured environment where it was like, okay, go to your small group. And you were a random assortment of people, whether you, wherever you were staying or in the group. And you had to, you were basically nobody was forced to share anything, but it was like you had, you know, bowl sessions like they do in this movie. And what's amazing is it's, it wound up being a very, a very relatable thing when the brain, uh, you know, Anthony Michael Hall says what's going to happen on Monday. And one of the things that I will always that this movie will always remind me of is one of the people in my small group was in the, like the ultra elite popular group, right? She was a a member of like the, the select cheerleading squad sort of thing. And all of us in the group got to know her in a very vulnerable sort of way. And I'll never forget that the following year, Uh, when I was a a senior leader for junior retreat, like she wrote a letter to me at the time saying, thanks for being the one person who, or not the one person, but one of the few people that didn't care that I was, you know, this way and your friendship meant a lot sort of thing, along with the other people that had been in that group with her. So it's like, 
it's really easy to approach the end of this movie as sort of like a fantasy fulfillment. And it is in some ways. And so that's, that's one of the criticisms I have in the movie is there are certain aspects of this where it's like, uh, it suddenly breaks down at the very, like just uh, right at the I, finish line, it stumbles. I want to talk about that when you're yeah. done. And, and, but, but these sorts of things can happen and do happen where the people from the different social circles can get together. And it's like, I, I wish every high school had that sort of program where it was like, listen, here's a random assortment. Try to relate to each other. And, you know, you had somebody sitting in there with you that, you know, would like help guide the conversations and stuff. But, you know, Breakfast Club is a very, you know, I I think this is the sort of thing that would be helpful for people to do in high school if they could manage it sort of thing. Yeah, just just get in trouble, smoke some weed, <laughs> you know, do a suicide attempt. Yeah, just get together. Well, some of the stuff not. But oh, okay. All the, right. the bowl session, the bowl session. That's what I'm. Oh, talking okay. About. I got yeah. you. I got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I do want to talk about the ending. No, go ahead. No, no, what, no, Darren. What you were oh, gonna say. I was just gonna say that that's the only other thing where, like, I kind of get that the vice principal is out of the room, but I feel like nowadays this would be a thing where there would always be an adult like sitting in the front, like. This would not be the day that they don't do this anymore where they're like, let's just leave the kids to their own devices for literally eight hours, basically, with a lunch break. (laughs) Ironically, it's because of this movie that they don't do that anymore because all of the teachers saw this movie and they were like, oh, we obviously can't let this. No, no. You know, I I, I think you're, you're absolutely right. There's no way they'd leave. Maybe you could maybe you could look at it from the point of view of like Vernon is so burnt out that he's like I just don't even care just don't kill each other yeah, just yeah. please for the love of God let me just do I my don't that's the, the thing library. is that like there, there's a lot of suspension of disbelief when it comes to this setup as well as execution you know like like having an eight hour detention on a Saturday with the vice principal there who also can't think of a way to keep the door open. And then doesn't just stay in the room. Like, what's he doing? You know, like, like what's he Check doing in his office? Checking the files. <laughs> you know, it's just, there's, there's a lot that you have to, like, there's a lot of things where you're like, well, the movie wouldn't be able to happen if that, if we, if we use logic. And, which is a knock against it, but at the same time, there's certain things where you just kind of go, eh, it's a movie, just go with it. It's a movie, just go with it. But yeah. I do want to talk about the ending. Yes. I do want to talk about the ending because it needs to be talked about. The ending feels so rushed at the at, at, at the very last. I, I mean, I'm not talking about even like even at the last 10 minutes. I'm talking about like the last two minutes where it feels like, where is this coming from? Where are these romantic relationships coming from? Like all of a sudden Molly Ringwald goes to Bender and like kisses him on the neck and then like they start a relationship and like trade earrings and like make out in front of her parents and you're just like this guy was a horrible person to you from beginning to end there was not a glimmer of hope there was not a glimmer of nicety to it whatsoever and then you just go right up to him i know that there is a stereotype about how if you treat a woman horrible then she'll run to you is this, this was a, ridiculous. trying to fix him is she is well, like is I, he her project listen, he he's if anybody watches always sunny in philadelphia he's practically on the dennis level of of treating people do yourself a favor and and look for what dennis spells out to as the acronym but um I agree with you. I think that the the key mistake that it makes with that leap in specific is it treats her character as if she's been in the room when Vernon gets him into that wounded state, right? Because we see it. And so we say, oh, I get this guy. I get who he really is at his core. And I think the movie's mistake is it then transfers our understanding of Bender onto Claire. And so it's not natural. It's not organic. The thing in the ending that bothers me just as much as that, not bothers, bothers is is, is, like, I get he's wrapping it up. It's, It's sort of like fast forward on the sort of thing. But if the whole point of the movie is for us to approach, understand, and accept people for who they are, then Ali Sheedy's makeover is disingenuous and should not yeah. have happened. Yeah, that part, it was like, what I, is that, going on? Oh, I'm pretty now. That means I right. can be accepted. It's like, 
what? Where did that right. come from? It was from? like the reverse Sandy at the end of Greece. Yes. That is exactly what I thought of. That is exactly what I thought of. And honestly, I well, think and that- Amelia's all like, I see you now. Now I right. want to be with like It's like, I, I was surprised right. that she didn't go, wait, so now you want to be with me because I put now makeup okay. on? Like, but she doesn't say that. If she had said right. that, it would have at least kind of been more in character. But I, I, I would have liked it better had she not changed- um, I think that it it betrays the fact that this is Hughes still early enough in his career. This is a seminal work. This is the work he's known for. But this is still his second movie. He hasn't ironed out the kinks as a filmmaker yet. We will see him get where he needs to go later in a few films. You know that, Darren. You know the one I'm talking about. He gets there. He's not there yet, though. And that's why this ending is a little bit clunkier. I don't know which one we're talking about. Oh, you'll know. You'll know when it happens. You'll know when it happens. Why so secretive? I know what we're talking about. Okay, yeah. Yeah, you know. I know what we're talking about. I just momentarily forgot. Uh, Yeah, yes, that was so weird. Like, it was weird between Claire and Bender. It was weird between... Andrew and Allison. It was it was just why? It was completely unneeded. There was no reason to add romance to it. There was no reason. Well, add some and how many times do we talk about, you know, the ability to land the ship is really important. Like again, you mm-hmm. can have an amazing story, but if you can't land it, it it kind of undoes a lot of that momentum and and goodness that you've done. And goodwill. Yeah. And goodwill. And, and I mean, now granted. I felt like it was time for the movie to end, you know, structurally wise, but yeah, these, the relationship shifts, uh, it, yeah. And I was something I also wanted to mention earlier. And I think you touched on it very similar, John, where you're talking about things that we had seen, uh, Judd Nelson do that they hadn't. I, I was trying to think of moments that they had seen and, the only other super redeeming moment I can think of is when they're out of the class or they're out of the room and they're uh, being chased where he kind of, you know, falls on his sword. Like I'm going to go run off and do this and I'm going to be the one that gets caught. So you guys can get away that. And she does see that, but that's True. the only, uh, but you're, that doesn't denounce what you are saying. Cause yes, I think he does try to, infer the connection in our minds of what we the audience have seen in the closet scene but there at least is something there where uh molly ringwald sees that happen it's like oh but but it's still a bit of a jump you know it's still that's not enough but it is there It, it is i i think that you know so long as we're talking about the film's shortcomings i do think that the i'm trying to think how to approach it the scene under the desk when he has fallen into the library can i was be wondering solved. if we were going to talk about that no, j- just real quick i'm just going to throw out there on my own the whole thing is solved with editing because there is one shot in specific that makes yes. it horrible and it's like if you take that one shot out it's it's less horrible and or even if all you do is is have him make a noise under the desk. Her reactions are enough. Yes. Yeah. Her yes. reactions are enough. You and, know exactly think, what's happening. I think what it is, is that's again, an inexperienced filmmaker going for the easy gag. And even back then it was like, Oh, Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, it made me think, okay, so two for two, both of these movies I've seen by John Hughes, we've seen Molly Ringwald's character's underwear. True. But I think that this is... I mean, not. I'm like, is this going to become a director's trademark? Yeah. <laughs> like, is this like no. Quentin Tarantino in Feet? What's going but, on? But, but I mean, even given the fact of... Given the fact of how young her character is, having that shot is like, really? Yeah. Like it's just not and and the thing is I'm not attributing anything terrible to Hughes. I'm just I'm I'm going to chalk it up to he was going it's for a an easy visual film. gag and he didn't understand restraint at that point. Yeah. And yeah. the whole movie is better if that's just but but the thing is I won't lay it just on Hughes. He has three editors working with him on this movie. Not one of them said, you know, 
let me show you an alternate cut here, right? Which is what he gets. And we'll talk about this with planes, trains, and automobiles. It's what he gets with Paul Hirsch, who forces some things that make planes, trains, and automobiles even better when you know the behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. Because he had an editor in the editing bay saying, you know, this would work better if we did it this way. Oh, and Hughes exactly listened to him. And it's like, why didn't one of these editors say to, that's the editor's job is to save the director from himself. And yes. so it's like, yeah. it's puzzling on so many different levels. Yeah. I don't have anything to add. I think you hit it on the head. And Darren, I think you're absolutely right that it just, it, her reactions alone would be funny and would take out any of the ness of it. Yeah. It, it, because it would I leave mean, it to your imagination. You, you literally go like, there were some shots mm-hmm. under the table where you're seeing him and he's like, oh, look where I am. And then it cuts to all her reactions afterwards. That's all you need. You don't need That's anything need. else. Uh, and and she acts it out. You can totally tell like, you know, she's not a, right. not, ha- not happy with but, the situation. But additionally, without that, sh- w- w- without w- with a different cut, your brain will take it where it needs to go for yeah. Bender not to be that awful. Right, like you, your brain will have an, a natural cutoff point where it'll be like, okay, that you know, and, and you'll you'll which, fill in. Which I mean, not to keep talking about this scene, but it's interesting though. Thinking about this is a moment where, like, if she, like, what am I trying to say? She's at a point where she's choosing not to expose him mm-hmm. in this moment, so. Does that mean that what he's doing is not cross some sort of line with her that she's like, I'm all I'm on this. I'm on the train now where I kind of want to be with you or whatever, because I think if if this had happened five minutes into their time inside the library, then she totally would have just stood up and been like, hey, he's under here. Get him. Get him out of here. So I think it's a kin. I think it's more of a we're all in this together aspect more than I want to be true. with this person. She she knew they were all going to get burned to the ground for protecting him, and he would have been roasted because it's like, what now, are you doing in here? Now to flip it around, so we're not focused on this specific aspect. I will give Hughes a lot of credit because he did. You know, he wrote the movie. What really, really ring like there is there are a lot of moments that specifically ring true. And have a lot of impact. And I I really think that it's um, an incredibly impactful moment when uh, Allison says, uh, and I'm going to butcher the line, but you know, if you say you didn't, you're a prude. And if you say you mm. did, you're a slut. And he does a very good job of uh, illustrating with that one line the dilemma that that not just Molly Ringwald, but every woman is faced with, with men in general, yeah. where it's like, you, it's you lose either, either way. <laughs> right. You're not treated like a human. You're treated on the basis of a single decision. And so at the very least, Hughes as a writer is recognizing that. Like, it, 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 it's just, um, you know, at the very least, there's that exchange there where he's acknowledging the dilemma for the character. Um, yeah, I, I'm interested so. to watch it again uh, because I think I also like the fact that we see the parents drop them off and we see these little interactions between them and their parents. And yeah. now knowing what I know of their full story, I'm curious to see, not that it has to be jam-packed with nuance, but you know, seeing these interactions again with that lens. Well, I think people, a lot of people blow past what uh, Brian, the brain, Anthony Michael Hall, what he's in de- detention for is right. basically an aborted suicide attempt. But was his it mom, aborted? I always got the impression he took the flare gun to destroy his art piece. And because it was a gun, quote unquote, they blew it out of proportion. No, he was uh, the the dialogue very much is is about like he was going to kill himself. Oh, okay. yeah. And I missed miss that part. It didn't, it didn't quite come across, but that makes his mom horrific because all she cares about is you're not going to go to detention again. There's no yeah. sort of, Hey, are you okay? Hey, we'll get through this. Hey, let's talk about it. They're like, that is uh, all of the parents are monstrous in this regard. And yeah. adults don't get a really good shake, except for like the janitor. It's like the only adult figure now, that's now see, a decent okay. person. 
See, what's interesting about the janitor is number one, Rick Moranis was originally cast. That's as what janitor. I heard. That's what I heard. <laughs> and um, he creative left, differences uh, or something. Yeah, according to Wikipedia, it was creative differences. Which you're playing the janitor. What possible creative differences could you have had? I don't understand. Like, I, I want to read like the original, like you know. Uh, final script before shooting sort of thing to be like, did the janitor have like a musical number or something? Like, is there something, but um, what's interesting about this movie is I know that there's always a very easy tendency for people to lay over religious overtones to movies. But what's interesting is the janitor's role is in a sense, the, sympathetic redemptive role in a religious context because he's the one that doesn't judge the kids that doesn't that isn't cruel and is more of an observer and he doesn't take flack either like he has that scene where he's like i i work a great job and i make good money and i you, you guys can't intimidate me right but he also he holds vernon to account and at the end, when the kids are doing okay, when they're released from purgatory, basically, he's happy about it. And even though he knows he's going to see uh, Bender in there and Bender's got more time to do, he knows it's better now. And so there's a very, the janitor is a very interesting sort of role in this. And I, that's why I'm really curious, like what on earth could Moranis have disagreed with about this role? Like, I don't. I don't know. I but mean, maybe I, they know, took it in a different direction after that. Like maybe they were going possible. more comedic because it's Moranis yeah. and you're, and it became silly and that wasn't working. True. And then when they lost Moranis, they're like, Oh, you know, well we have, you know, uh, you know, John now, but it's, it's not, we're not going to go in that direction anymore. Uh, who knows? Yeah. Jo- John Kapalos is, he's great. I, I always love seeing him in movies and, I think that one of the reasons is because he got, he has uh, great facial expressions. He's very emotive without dialogue. And so I I think that that's one of those ones that always works out, you know, for the best, but I love Rick Moranis and to see Rick Moranis in this role. Like there's always going to be that part of my brain. That's wondering what would this have been with him? You know, how would it have been different? Eh, I can't help. Can't help but wonder. I, okay, I, yeah, there, there's a lot of different ways that this movie could have gone with casting because uh, Emilio Estevez was originally supposed to be Bender. But then they couldn't find someone to play Andy. And so Emilio Estevez agreed to be Andy and then Judd Nelson came in. Now, John Cusack auditioned something like four times, maybe more to be Bender and wanted to be Bender so bad and flew between LA and, and Chicago uh, a handful of times. And John Hughes is just like, Nope, we're going to go with Judd Nelson. And uh, I don't, I mean, I feel like if John Hughes was alive today, he'd probably tell you that he regrets this decision because he never had a good relationship with Judd Nelson. Like he almost fired him because Judd Nelson never left character or so it's, it is said. And apparently I read that this, because this was so successful, this was kind of supposed to be like the before trilogy trilogy, like before sunrise and sunset and midnight where they were supposed to get back together every 10 years and see where everybody was. But because he had such a horrible relationship with Judd Nelson, John Hughes, Hughes never uh, entertained the idea. Now in, in defense of Hughes in that story, uh, Judd Nelson was not known as the easiest person in the world to work with. Um, oh, I don't think that's a, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think John Hughes he, uh, needs defending. <laughs> But but what's what's really fascinating to me is, and this is the story with a lot of Hughes movies, is the original, um, uh, the, the, the first print was like 150 minutes. And uh, apparently Ali Sheedy said that there was a director's cut that does exist. Yeah. Uh, she said this, uh, what was it, the 24, 25th anniversary. Uh, Ali Sheedy said that there was a director's cut that does exist. But um, John Hughes's widow has been tight-lipped, hasn't said. So it exists somewhere, whether it's in a releasable format, whether who knows what. But I got to ask, right? Like, 
would you want to see a longer cut of this movie? Would you want to see something that has more to it? Or do you think this movie, given the ending, right? And the fact that it stumbles at the finish line, do you think that a longer director's cut would have alleviated some of the, the ending issues? Or do you think it would have overstayed its welcome? I would like to see it just out of morbid curiosity. I don't think it's a movie that needs to be improved. I, I don't think it needs, to, I don't think there needs to be a John Hughes director's cut, you know, like hashtag release the Hughes cut. I, I don't think that needs to happen. <laughs> Breakfast Club, Coda. <laughs> <laughs> the death, <laughs> Breakfast Club, Coda, the death of John Bender. Yes. Wow. Yeah, wow. I, don't, I don't think that needs to happen, but it would so be that's an his interesting ghost at the exercise. end that walks off and puts <laughs> his fist up. There you wow. go. There you go. Because some of the scenes that they say was in there is pretty crazy. Like, I'm just going to read one to you where in a dream sequence, Allison imagines Andrew as a gluttonous Viking, Bender as a prisoner, Claire as a bride, Brian as an astronaut, and herself as a vampire. In an unfilmed alternative to this dream sequence, all the five kids imagine random things including cars, naked women, Godzilla, beer, and fighter planes. And these things end up filling the room until Vernon interrupts. Hashtag never release the Hughes cut. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. Is that like terrible? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, there's a lot, there's a reason why all stuff three of the editors it. said, no, we're not putting any of that <laughs> exactly. stuff in. And that's why the other stuff slipped through is they were too busy fighting that. But yeah, I do think that the ending needs some work, but I don't think it need. I don't think we need another 30 minutes to make the ending work. Yeah. I think it's nope, what I'm trying I agree. to say. I agree. All right. Well, man, some time has flown by. I feel like we could keep talking about this, but. We got to wrap it up. We're, we got we're another seven hour hours of here. detention here. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, Darren, I'm going to start with you. With this being your first full time, uh, how many uh, bologna slices thrown up on the on the statues are you giving this film? Uh, I give this film a five. It's I oh, wow. Even even with I I I'm not disagreeing with the. Uh, the slight fumble a little bit at the end and and some of the shots for me, the five doesn't necessarily mean it's the, it's a perfect movie or it has to be. Cause I mean, what is perfection? I mean, that's such a hard thing to chase, but, uh, but for what it is like, man, is it for what it makes you feel for the way you connect to the characters for, um, you know, story plots aside, that's, it's an amazing feat by any director, by any writer who also, also writing. And like you said, in the very beginning, Tristan, you could tell this was his passion project. This is what he wanted to direct first. This is what the story he wanted to tell. Uh, and, and the, and the characters that we, we get, it was a little weird for me because I had recently watched uh, mighty ducks. So seeing Emilio <laughs> after that, I'm like, okay, it, uh, this is a little weird, but, uh, but watching, you know, Anthony Michael Hall, who we, you know, did a pretty good job in 16 candles brought it. Like I loved his character. He, you know, obviously, you know, obviously I feel I identify the most with that character as I'm sure many of our, us and our friends do, but yeah, I was going to say many people probably <laughs> listening like, to this podcast do, but you know, but he never, again, just like I remember reading for him for, for 16 candles in his interview, he played it straight. He didn't play the stereotypical nerd role. And that's what drew him towards Hughes. That's why Hughes wanted to cast him. And he does the same thing here. He's, he's still a person. He's still a kid. You know, he's not, yeah, he has aspects that we connect with, but it's not like, you know, oh, he's got tape on his glasses and he says, oy vey all the time. You know, it's no, it's not stereotypical. It becomes a real person. And they all give those performances, uh, whether or not we have intrinsic knowledge as the audience versus the events of the story. Yes, that does break down a little bit, but uh, yeah, I mean, they've taken this film and, and marked it for, you know, storing in the congressional archive. Like it's, it is a touchstone movie. And uh, yeah, I, I, if I'm not going to give this movie a five, then I don't know what else I'd give a five. So I'm giving it five bologna slices. Man, that is awesome that you love this movie that much, that you gave it five stars. Kudos to you. John, how many stolen switchblades are you giving this film? 
which is my favorite shot in the entire film is when Ali Sheedy's character takes the switchblade yes. out of the it's, frame. It's so quick and subtle and beautiful. Um, I think that I can't ignore the little bit of a stumble at the end. And Hughes does have a five-star film, but it's not this one. So just stay tuned, folks. Um, this is a four and a half because those those little structural hiccups this is this is a, a filmmaker early in his career who's getting a handle on things much better than his first film, but just not quite there yet. Just just about on the cusp. So he gets a four and a half for the Breakfast Club, fully recognizing that even a four and a half can have tremendous cultural relevance and importance. Um, but if I'm going to be honest with myself and you know and, and with you the listeners and my co-hosts and honesty is what I always value. Uh, I got to give it a four and a half, um, but I, I can understand the five because emotionally it's a five, but being the, uh, the, the, the hard hearted jerk that I am, it's a four and a half. So. Well, and, and I'll say once more for new listeners, I don't like giving half points. So for me between a four and a five, I'm more on the higher end of the spectrum. If so. I was stuck in Darren's detention of movie <laughs> These ratings, are the rules you will adhere but, to. But uh, since uh, Dick Vernon is not here to force me. Uh, Giving you the horns, John. <laughs> <laughs> mess with bull, you get the horns. I love, I, I've quoted that line so many times. He says it with such conviction too. Yes. You're like, uh, dude, you're, you're, you're a vice principal at a, your high school there, there is a 17 complete, year old get it under control yeah there's a complete recreation of that scene in the movie not another teen movie yes there is and i love that movie i hate myself for loving that movie but god almighty i love that movie i and saw that Gleason reprises Day. his role yes Gleason reprises his role <laughs> and the, the baloney actually falls down <laughs> yes oh it's so I love great that movie so much it's so great yeah, yeah. Uh, man, I, I mean, I feel like I liked it as much as you guys, but my rating's much lower. Like I have uh -oh. a 3.5. Oh no. Like, like, I, I mean, I really like it. I, I think it's great. Like I'm, I'm looking at the poster right now and I feel like I should have had the poster up because like so many people of our age had this poster on their wall in college. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a bunch and, of floating yeah. heads, so we hate it, right? No, I'm just kidding. It's, it's, <laughs> it is, but it's not. Shot by Annie Leibovitz near That's the end right. of production. Ooh. That's right. Yeah. 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 I, I give it a 3.5. I, I, I really like it. I think this is a solid film, but I feel like the premise needs a lot of, um, and it, it needs a lot of, uh, What's what's word I'm looking for? What's the uh, didn't stick the landing refinement? It's not refinement. It's a it's a suspension of disbelief. Like the the premise needs a lot of suspension of disbelief of just how the world works, and the the ending is just it it, it kills it for me. I think if it wasn't for the ending, this would easily be a four four and a half for me. But it's just I it's a on letterbox. I'm putting three and a half with a little heart. Like it's three and a half, and I like it. Like as in like I like it, but it has its issues, and I think that's that's the thing for me is that this is a great film. This is a this is a good film. This is a great film, but those things are too big for me to ignore. And yeah, I think that's where I'm landing. Now, okay, Darren, what are we doing next week? Ah, oh, next week we're gonna keep going through Hughes. Ville, and we're gonna do <laughs> another 1985 movie because apparently. He did two in the, they were both released and we're going to do weird science, which I have never seen. Oh, so it's going to be. Oh, oh no. On time. Okay. I mean, I know a little bit about some scenes and whatnot, but I, I, I have a rough understanding of this plot and I'm expecting a bit of a roller coaster. So uh, we'll, we'll see what we get. I'm <laughs> really curious as to what your reaction is going to be. Super duper curious, Darren. This is an interesting film. It's, it's an interesting film. It's That's a thing that say. exists. You know, the pitch it's of your voice there. is not giving me great confidence yeah. in you know, the... It's, uh, it's, it's, it's fine. You know, it's fine. It's, 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 it's a film. It's, you know, it's, it's a okay. Yeah, yeah. You'll yeah. watch it. I mean, there's, there's things that happens. There's a journey. There's a character. You know, yeah. things 
They have names. Bring the octave down, guys. Bring it down. Oh, oh, yeah. oh, one thing before we leave. Oh, don't worry. Uh, it's just total side note is that Ron Dean, the actor who plays Emilio Estevez's dad, if you've ever seen a movie that takes place in Chicago, you have seen Ron Dean. And I just want you, everybody, to look him up because he is a Chicago actor. He's from Chicago. And if you it, it, like, it, if there's ever been a movie that has said, "Hey, we need a Chicago type," <laughs> they say, "Call up Ron F- Dean." Okay, yes. I was I was wondering because looking oh, he's at very the list recognizable. of the list of cast on on Wikipedia, and it lists all the main cast and Mr. Clark, and I'm like, "But wait, not any of the other parents, just Ron Dean." Okay, I guess that's why yep. he's the Chicago in Chicago, and yeah, he, he's <laughs> a lot like he's a lot like J.T. Walsh, where the 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 non-movie obsessives see a movie and they're like, oh, that guy. You know that guy. And yeah. Ron Dean is that guy, for sure. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Tell your friends about this show. Share the show with your loved ones. And uh, please let us know who you would like us to talk about next because we're still considering it. And uh, please uh, continue with us next week as we talk about weird science as we continue to walk through the House of Hughes. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.